The third verse, Lord Krishna proposes what it is that is going to discuss in this chapter. Tachetram yet, what that Kshetra is, Idam Shriram Kaunteya, Kshetram Itabhidhyate. In the first verse, Lord Krishna said, This Sharira, this body, is called Kshetram. So, what is that Kshetram? Yadrukcha, and what is its nature? Yadvikari, what are its modifications? Yatasyat, from what cause, what effect comes out? Sacha, and that Kshetra Jnana, the of the field, Saha, who is he? Yaha, Yat Prabhavascha, and what are his glories? All of these I will tell you in brief. Lord, you are going to say all of this in brief. Where is it that this is described in detail? The fourth verse said, Rushibihi Bahudhagitam. This has been sung variously by the sages in what we call the Smruti Granthas, as we said in the morning. So, the Shruti or the Vedas are the revealed texts. So, Vedas have no authors. And traditionally, Vedas also are beginningless, meaning they are not created by anybody, not written by anybody. They are revealed to the sages, and therefore the sages are called Mantra Drashtaraha. They are called the Drashtaraha, the seers of mantra, 
नॉट मंत्र करता रहा नॉट द क्रिएटर्स ऑफ मंत्र बट द सीयर्स ऑफ मंत्र एंड दिस बींग द रिवील्ड टैक्स इट इज इट इज लुक अपॉन एस वॉट यू कॉल प्रमाणम एज द वैलिड मीन्स ऑफ नॉलेज सो दैट इज द वैलिड मीन्स ऑफ नॉलेज दो सेंटेंसेज ऑफ स्टेटमेंट्स विच आर फ्री फ्रॉम एनी डिफेक्ट एंड यूजली द स्टेटमेंट्स ऑफ ह्यूमन बींग्स आर लाइकली टू हैव दिफेक्ट और लिमिटेशन ह्यूमन बींग हैज इन इज इंटेलैक्ट बिकॉज एवरी ह्यूमन बींग इंटेलैक्ट हाउ एवर ग्रेट इट इज स्टिल लिमिटेड इन दफर those limitations of human intellect are bound to reflect themselves in all human creations whereas these are revealed texts meaning they revealed by god who is omniscient and free from any defect therefore this is nirdosham pramanam this is a valid means of knowledge without any dosha without any defect this is the traditional belief i mean you know, of course as we said every religion formally says that our book is pramanam it is true and so everybody has their book which is what they look upon as pramanam as valid means of knowledge <clears throat> and those words or sentences are taken as the revelations of god in india vedas are the revelations of god and uh, as far as vedantin is concerned mainly upanishad is a pramanam vedanta nama upanishad pramanam what is called vedanta is upanishad brahma vidya tatvamasi that the word aham brahmasmi i am brahman sarvam khalu idam brahma all of this is brahman all of this is divine or god so these are the statements which are pramanam pramanam means the valid means of knowledge the statements which reveal the truth and we know the truth when we deliberate upon the meaning of the statements and understand the meaning <coughs> so that is chando bhi vidhi prasak in various ways separately the vedad sangdesh rushibihi bahudagitam in the smruti granthas what is smruti is the the texts that are composed or written by the sages based on their experiences of the truth revealed in veda smruti means memory and memory presupposes an experience you know you always remember something that you experience and so the sages remember something that they have experienced what have experienced whatever it is the vedas reveals so therefore the sages are those who have realized the truths revealed truths revealed by the vedas and they have then expressed those truths in a language which is understandable by the human beings ordinary people and which can be practiced or applied in the day to day life that is called smruti even bhagavad gita also is classified as smruti although we look upon bhagavad gita also as pramana meaning we almost look upon it as we revere it as much as we revere the upanishads because as i say the the one who has revealed the upanishads is the one who has revealed the bhagavad gita also but technically speaking bhagavad gita also falls in the category of smruti meaning that which is sung by the sages brahma sutra padeshaiva in all subada upanishads which reveal the nature of brahman in various sentences by them by all these there is shruti smruti shruti and smruti in shruti we have the karmakanda section and the gnana kanda section and then purana also should be included shruti smruti and purana so primary text is shruti of the vedas based on that the smrutis are composed and again the truths that are revealed by the vedas are communicated to us 
by what we call Purana or the mythological literature in its own way. So in the, in the pictorial form, in the story form, in the, in the mystic form, these truths are communicated, they are called Puranas. Here Arjuna, so what, so what all these texts describe in great detail, all that I am going to tell you in brief. <coughs> Meaning thereby that what I am going to tell you is something very important. Now and then Lord Krishna has to also praise, sort of, or eulogize what it is that he is going to tell Arjuna. For the benefit of Arjuna, for the benefit of the listener. So listener is always enthused and he always pays attention to something which is important. And therefore before giving a long discourse, Lord Krishna here says in brief, how great this, what I am going to tell you, how great that knowledge is, because look, it is subject matter of all these texts where it is described in great detail and that I am going to describe to you in brief. Stutya Abhukhi Bhutaya Arjunaya So this is called Stuti, this is called the praising. This is a style that whatever it is that you want to impart, you always have to show me you would always create a value for that in the listener. Because psychologically a person would pay attention to something which is valuable. Otherwise, okay, somebody is saying something, you listen, but then something else could be going on in your mind, in which case you will not grasp it well. In order that Arjuna pays attention to this, Lord Krishna in fact praised this subject matter. And that's how Arjuna is now all enthused and his attention is now revealed to what it is that Lord Krishna is going to say. So having created this background, then now Lord Krishna starts saying whatever it is that he has promised or proposed. He is going to tell us about Kshetra as well as Kshetragnya. Remember that some, it is said that this chapter started with the questions on the part of Arjuna. Six questions he asked, Purusham Prakritim Chaiva, I want to know what is Purusha and Prakriti. I want to know what is Kshetra and Kshetragnya. I want to know what is Jnanam and Ajnayam. So Kshetragnya has been stated. Now Kshetra is going to be described now. <coughs> Kshetragnya also will be described subsequently. So Tat Kshetram Yat. What is that Kshetra? Yadrucha. What is its nature? Yadvikari. What are its modifications? Those three things are now stated in the next two verses. <coughs> So let us read the fifth verse. Mahabhutanya hankaraha Buddhiravyakta mevacha Indriyani the shaykancha Pancha Chendriya Gochara Icha Dvesha Sukham Dukham Sanghatas Chetana Dhruti Etakshetram Samasena Savikara Mudaritam So the last line, the verse 6 is, 
एतत् क्षेत्रम समासेन सविकारम उदाहरण हृदाहृतम एतत् क्षेत्रम दिस इज कॉक क्षेत्र समासेन इन ब्रीफ सविकारम अलोंग विद मॉडिफिकेशंस उदाहरणम हैज बीन स्टेटेड सो थ्री लाइन स्टेट टेल अस व्हाट दिस क्षेत्र इज महाभूतानी the five great mahabhutani mahamins great bhutani means elements the five great elements <coughs> they are called elements because and they are great elements they are great because uh, they are greater than the products the cause always is greater than the product because the cause pervades the effect these five elements pervade if the whole creation the whole creation is the product of the five elements and therefore the five elements pervade the entire creation because of the pervasiveness they are called great and they are elements therefore they are called great elements mahabhutani mahabhutani and as we know very well these are five great elements also we know that in the creation process upanishad describes tasmadva etasmad atmanah akashah sambhutah says taitreya upanishad that from that brahman which is the self first akasha the space evolved emerged akasha dvayu from the space air vayu agnihi from the air fire agnihi apah from fire water advih prasavi from water the element earth space air fire water and earth five elements this is the model that upanishad present before us and it's a very useful model swami what is this five elements these days there is only one thing everything reduces to energy why do we talk of five elements in fact science talks of 109 we in when we were there there were 92 elements why then they increased to i think 109 or whatever the latest number may be so one way is to describe number of elements similarly also but then how come upanishad talks about five elements because we have five four objects in the world shabda sparsha roopa rasa gandha shabda means sound sparsha means touch roopa means form or color rasa means taste and gandha means smell so these are the five objects that we experience how do we experience by corresponding five organs of perception so we have five organs of perception the faculty of hearing the faculty of touch the faculty of sight faculty of taste and faculty of smell and with these five faculties we experience the respective objects so therefore the the model of five elements because we have five organs of perception and we have five organs of action there seems to be something about the number 5 and therefore everything is all these are the groups of five all of them evolve from space and space itself evolves from its own cause their own cause also depends upon its own existence ultimately everything is brahman what upanishads want to say that from brahman which is the self and then from that air and from that the fire and water and earth and so forth and so on meaning that that brahman alone first manifested a space and that brahman which manifested a space itself manifested then as air and again as fire and so it is brahman alone so this evolution of creation is like describing how this goldsmith made a chain you know so somebody can describe to me how did the goldsmith make a chain he took a lump of gold and from that he made a rod 
and from that he made a wire and that he cut into pieces from that he made those rings and from that he made the chain and so one can say once upon a time there was a lump of gold and from that emerged the rod from that emerged the wire from that emerged these pieces from that emerged the rings from that emerged the chain so at every stage there is a different name that does not mean that there is a different substance at every stage at every stage it is nothing but gold as lump also it is gold as chain also it is gold at every intermediate stage also it is gold and therefore what we call the rod and the wire and so forth and so on all of these are nothing but the names of gold and similarly also what we call space and air and fire and whatever all of these are names of brahman meaning that brahman alone modifying through all the stages becomes a universe so really vedanta accepts only one not five but to explain our day to day experiences this model of the universe made up of the five elements is given to us because as we said we have five organs of perception with which we perceive the five four objects we have five organs of action with which we react to the five objects <coughs> and therefore mahabhutani the five great elements here in their subtle state also in the process of evolution we are told that first the five elements evolve in the subtle state and from them then we have the classification called panchikaranam and so this is how it goes on <coughs> the space and so forth and from these five elements the subtle body is there from them the gross body is there this is how the creation is explained original cause is maya maya is made up of the three gunas sattva rajas and tamas and from this maya the five elements evolve the space air fire water and earth and therefore each of the elements also has sattva rajas and tamas and it is said that from the sattva aspect of the five elements the organs of perception are made from the sattva aspect of element space the organ of hearing sattva aspect of element air the organ of touch from sattva aspect of element fire the organ of sight sattva aspect of element water the organ of taste sattva aspect of organ element earth the organ of smell this is what is explained and from the combined sattva aspect of all this five what we call the mind is made the rajas aspect from rajas aspect of these five elements the five organs of action are made rajas aspect of element space the organ of speech rajas aspect of element air what we call the hands rajas aspect of element fire the motion the legs rajas aspect of element water the organ of generation rajas aspect of element earth the organ of excretion so these five organs of action if you notice the five organs of perception receive those elements the five organs of action discharge those elements so the the organ of hearing which is the sattva aspect of the uh, space receives the sound and speech which is the rajas aspect of element space produces sound and this is how uh, organ this is a very neat arrangement by the way you know and all of this can be further elaborated we can all these different tables explaining everything about the body so very nice analysis is done it is not a scientific analysis in the, you know like medical science etc but it's an analysis which is very helpful to understand our personality and also our interaction with reference with the creation 
and to understand you know what I am and also to slowly drop it as an Atma so this is the whole idea <coughs> so Mahabhutani the five great elements in that subtle state then Tamas aspect remains so Sattva aspect Sattva is always knowledge organs of knowledge Rajas means activity the organs of action Tamas is all dullness and darkness and inertia and so all the inert creation is creation of the Tamas aspect of the five elements and we are told how the Tamas aspect of all five elements undergoes the, the process of quintuplication the fivefold combinations called Panchikaranam and that's how they become gross and from that the gross five elements we have the organs, the objects of the world as well as our gross body <coughs> so we have a gross body the product of five gross elements we have a subtle body product of five subtle elements what is subtle body? the five organs of perception five organs of action the five pranas the mind and intellect the seventeen becomes the subtle body product of the five subtle elements our gross body is the gross body product of the five elements in the gross state this is just a general information for you it is important as much as Lord Krishna says all of these anatmas are non-self so this is the description of Kshetra meaning that which is the object of knowledge meaning all this is non-self and is in also it is important or rather it, is, it helps to clearly understand what the non-self is and so this is the description of anatma or non-self <coughs> however Swamiji my intellect also is non-self yes but it is so wonderful it is still my mind also everything is non-self because it is a product of matter the subtle body is a product of matter in the subtle state the gross body is a product of matter in the gross state and we have to say that because many people equate the mind with the self or the consciousness so when in the way they talk of the consciousness they generally equate consciousness with the mind and they talk of the states of consciousness which are the states of mind and the study in consciousness also is nothing but the study in different states of mind but anyway that is why we have to say that this mind also is included in the anatma. So Mahabhutani, Ahankaraha, the ego, Buddhihi, the intellect, Avyaktam, the unmanifest. This sequence in which Lord Krishna says is also has a relevance. See, this is how Sankhyas describe the process of creation. You know how the, the thinkers of Sankhya, how they explain the evolution is that there is what they call the primordial matter which is called the pradhanam what is called vyakta here unmanifest and from pradhanam the first thing that evolves is what we call the mahatattva the samashta buddhi the universal the total intellect so first thing that evolves is the intellect then in the intellect the ego the total intellect in that the total ego from that the five elements subtle elements and from that the rest of the creation so this is how the Sankhyas describe the creation and Lord Krishna seems to adopt it here yeah? same kind of terminology Avyakta, Ahankara, Buddhi, Panchamahabhutani Vedantins don't like this Vedantins don't like the Sankhya Prakriyas they are, they are only so then Lord Krishna uses all the express words do they have any reference in the Upanishads? yes what is called avyakta? Avyakta unmanifest. That's a maya. 
Where is the reference of Maya, Swamiji? Some people believe that this Maya is a creation of Shankaracharya, you know. So, Shankaracharya is called Mayavadi. Mayavadi means the, uh, he says there is Maya. There are some Acharyas who do not like this word Maya. Because Maya means magic. And Lord God is called Mayavi, the magician. That means one who is magician is what? The person who cheats everybody. Cheats means then he makes a show of something that is not there. How can you call God a Mayavi, you know? So they get hurt when they hear these kind of words. And they will say, Vedanta Sutra is Brahma Satyam Jagan Mitya. There is a Brahma Satyam Jagat Satyam. And so, Brahma also is real and Jagat also is real because it is God alone which is manifest as creation. But anyway, yes, Maya. Because in seventh chapter here in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna, Maya Maya Duratya. My Maya is extremely difficult to cross. You, if you take refuge into me, then you can cross my Maya. If you don't take refuge, otherwise Maya will always take you for a ride. So we find there is something called Maya. What is Maya? That which creates an appearance of something which is not there. What is magic? Maya means magic. A magician creates an appearance of something which is not there. He produces an apple from nowhere. He takes a piece of newspaper and, and makes a hundred dollar bill. Well, this is just appearance of something which is not there. If that hundred dollar bill was there, this magician need not do anything at all. He can keep converting all newspapers and, you know, that's it. It doesn't, that's not so. So similarly also in this world we have to accept something called Maya. Meaning that things seem to create an appearance of something which they are not. Like the objects of the world create an appearance of giving me happiness, which they don't have. They create the appearance of giving me security, which they don't have. And not knowing that, people run after these things. Like the mirage water creates an appearance of water, which is not there. The poor animals not knowing that this is false, they take that water to be real and run after that. And similarly also, this poor human being thinks that the happiness lies out there, the comfort lies out there, the security is out there and that's why is always chasing those pleasures. And so, taken for a ride. That's why Maya. Maya means that which appears to be different from what it really is and that's how the whole world is. What is in fact mithya or unreal appears as real. <coughs> so therefore, Vedanta explains that the cause of creation is Maya, is ignorance. <coughs> And that, otherwise there is no need for any creation at all. Because, what is the original cause of creation? Brahman, which is limitless. Why should Swami, this question always arises, but why did God create this world? If He created world, then why did He create it like this? Why is it, you know? Our answer is very simple. The creation is due to ignorance. But why is there ignorance? Where did ignorance come from? Did it come from God? Where did ignorance come from? It is there. It did not come from anywhere. It is just there. But is God ignorant? God is not ignorant. But God also supports ignorance. God is not opposed to ignorance. So Vedantins God is that who is not opposed to anything. But Swamiji, this morning you said that God is the self of everyone. Kshetrajnam Charmamavedi Sarvakshetreshu Bharata Here you understand that I am the self of all. But here is a great criminal, Swamiji. Are you trying to say that this God is his self also? Yes, very much. As much as he is my self, he is also the self of a criminal. 
So saint or sinner, God is equally present in all of them. What happens is, Christianity separates this God and Satan, whatever, you know, therefore the evil is separated from God and all that is good is God. But Vedanta says that no, God is equally present in that which is good and evil. How can it be possible? Only when God transcends ideas of good and evil. If God is only good and not evil, then he gets limited. God is the one that transcends ideas of good and evil. Both good and evil are appearances only. Both of them are mitya. Both of them are product of maya. Therefore, God is the self of each one of us, everything. So, maya is the cause of creation. From that emerges what we call the buddhi, the first thought. The Upanishads describe the creation like this. So, kamayata bahusyam prajaya. So, the creation explained like that. That is the beginning of creation. God desired. So, kamayata. He desired. He deliberated. So, God also desires. I mean, God also has desire. How can there be desire in God when God is complete? No, but this is not. God doesn't have an agenda. But the idea is that all these living beings have a lot of agenda. And therefore, in order to fulfill that agenda, God desires to create the world so that everybody has the opportunity to fulfill their desires. Where does the desire come from, Swamiji? It's always there. What is meant by creation? Creation is not something new that is created. Creation is only a cyclic phenomenon. And therefore, what is created, this creation begins means a given cycle of creation begins. And that is Taylor. We call the previous cycle, which was there because of the previous cycle. And thus, we look upon this whole process of creation as beginningless, and there are cycles of creation. Creation, sustenance, dissolution. Creation, sustenance, dissolution. This is how the cycles are there. And if there is a beginning, there can be beginning, be beginning of a given cycle of creation. But not the beginning. There is no such thing as the beginning. There can be beginning of a given cycle. Which means that what happens at the end of the cycle, all the living beings which are there, all the whole universe goes to sleep. Just as when we go to sleep at night, then my personality just goes, merges into ignorance and its cause, but it's there very much in a latent state. And when I wake up, the same person wakes up because I did not get destroyed. My personality was very much there in the deep sleep state also, in a latent state, in a seed form, in a causal form. And similarly also, there is resolution of the whole universe. All the living beings as though go to sleep for a long time. Why is that so, Swamiji? Because people get tired. All these four jivas get tired, birth after birth after birth, and therefore, to give them rest, Lord has made the arrangement that there is a dissolution of the whole universe, and therefore, everybody gets long rest. But then, after sleep also, the rest are waking up. What wakes me up? My own desire, my own agenda wakes me up. Even though I may think that it is alarm clock that has woken me up, but I was the one who set the alarm clock to begin with. It did not decide, decide itself, you know. Some alarm clocks may decide themselves, but generally speaking, we set the alarm clock. Five o'clock in the morning, so the alarm clock woke me up. But I was the one who desired to wake up at the five o'clock. And thus it is my desire which wakes me up. But Swami, when I don't set the alarm clock, then who wakes me up? Then my desire again wakes me up because it is ready to become manifest. Similarly also, the collective desire of all the living beings, 
becomes one universal desire at the beginning of creation so kamayata that is called the desire that is where the total intellect is there which becomes active in the first desire arises from which the whole universe evolves so kamayata desire and then bahusyam may become many tat srishtva tadeva anupravishata he created the whole world and identified the whole that's called ahankara and from that the five elements in the whole universe came so anyway again just for your information how this same description that lord krishna gives also is applicable to how it is described in the upanishads <coughs> so this in seventh chapter lord krishna described the very same thing as the astada prakriti bhumirapo nalovayu khammano buddhirevacha ahankar etiyamme bhinna prakriti astada in the seventh chapter the fourth verse lord krishna said the very eight things as astada prakriti in short the first line of the fifth verse describes what we call prakriti or the matter ahankar etiyamme bhinna prakriti astada lord krishna this is how my prakriti is my nature is in his nature what are the eight things the five elements the mind intellect and the ego the mind intellect ego and the body all of this is lord's prakriti although i have asserted it i call this body as mine i call the mind as mine i call the intellect as mine but in seventh chapter lord krishna says, this is all my prakriti but anyway so the same thing is described in the first line here second line of the fifth verse is indriyani dasha and also the ten sense organs the five organs of action and the five organs of perception ekamcha and the one namely the mind the inner organ panchacha indriya gocharaha and five objects of the sense organs <coughs> that makes it 16 so indriyani dasha 10 organs is 10 panch indriya gocharaha five organs of perception five objects of perception 15 and ekam the mind 16 so the first line talks about the eight the second line talks about 16 the total is 24 this is how the sankhya has explained the whole universe is made up of 24 principles <coughs> just adopting their terminology of them that first primordial matter is just the cause in between 7 are both cause and effect and last 16 are just the effect that's how the 24 are made up so that is the description of what we call kshetra but then lord krishna also adds something more in the 6th verse because there are other people who describe themselves in a slightly different way asa idanim आत्मगुणाचक्षतेचर icha means desire that's that is also 
not the nature of the self. This is said because the Vaisheshika say that and Nayayika say that these are the, these are all, they have the locus in the self. You know why they say that? Because desire etc. only a conscious being can desire and inner thing cannot desire. So desire must have its locus in a conscious being and self is a conscious being. Therefore, they say that this desire etc. have the location of self, meaning that to desire is the nature of the self. This is what the Vaisheshikas Nayayikas say and with reference to that Lord Krishna clarifies that now this is not the nature of self. All of these also fall in the category of non-self. So Icha, Icha means desire. What is this desire? How does it arise? Desire is for what? Spruharupa chittavruttihi A modification of mind of the nature of seeking something. So it is explained here that a desire arises in me today when I come to see or think of some object which I had experienced in the past. A pleasurable object. So, in the past I had experienced something that is pleasurable and then now when I hear of that or when I think of that then in my mind there arises a desire to gain that experience again. And so Swamiji, what would you like to eat if I had been invited to that place earlier? Then if now the uh, person asked me, Swamiji, what would you like to eat? I would say, please make idli. Why? Because I went to that place in the past, they made such wonderful idli and sambar and chutney. Therefore, moment I think of that person, I think of idli, sambar, chutney. My mouth starts watering and therefore a desire arises. So desire can arise of something which is pleasurable. How do I know something is pleasurable? Because I had experienced it in the past. And that experience had left the the samskara, the impression of pleasure. It was a pleasurable experience. And its impression is stored in my mind. And therefore, when that object again occurs, either I see it, I hear of it, then immediately my mind desires because the mind always desires happiness. And whatever it looks upon, as a means of happiness or as a source of happiness is what the mind desires. So we basically desire happiness. But our conclusion is that the happiness comes from somewhere else. And therefore, whatever it is that I look upon as the means of happiness, this is what I desire. I might change my mind, of course. Next time I go to that place and they make sambar, etc. and I, I may not like it. Then next time I may ask for something else. It is possible, therefore the desires can change. What appeared to be desirable at one point in time may not appear desirable at some other point in time. When we were young, you know, you liked all kinds of stuff. All that's available in the vendors. Now when you go there, you don't even want to look at what is this. So when those days, you go to Bombay and then you eat bhel puri and pani puri and all that stuff, you know. But now after all the years, my idea of hygiene has changed and therefore what is this? What kind of water it is there? Now I will see. Where does he get? Those days we never inquired. When they make the pani puri, those little puris are there in which they fill water. Water comes from a big pot and it is very delicious. But they say that they never change that water. <laughs> so they keep on adding the water but the original thing always remains, you know. And older it gets, more tasty it gets, so it said. And so anyway, those days we never inquired about where does the water come from. 
Where does he wash his vessels? From what water? All of those things never mattered those days. Now today when I go, I say, what kind of water is? Where does he get it? It's a hygiene. And therefore, I don't know. Does he take bath? Does he wash his hands? He dips his fingers in this thing. I can't eat that. So now that my idea about what is hygienic, etc. has changed, Therefore, that very thing which was desirable at one point in time is no more desirable today. And therefore, this desire or ichcha is something that fancy of the mind keeps on changing. But anyway, that fancy of the mind or the state of mind, wherein there is a... when the mind looks upon something as a source of happiness, the response of the mind is called desire. Lord Krishna says, this desire is not the nature of the self, it is the nature of non-self. Because you know the desire arising in your mind. Whatever is known is different from the knower. But the knower is different from the known. Very simple rule. The, the knower is different from the known. The desire is known. And the self who is knower of desire is different. Icha, dveshaha. Dvesha means repulsion or aversion, which is the opposite of that. And so, I experienced something in the past and it gave me an experience of unhappiness or pain and therefore there is also a desire always to avoid pain. Sukha prapti, dukkha nivrutihi. Acquiring happiness and avoiding pain. So whatever it is that I look upon today as the cause of pain, I want to avoid that. And so some people while walking on the sidewalk, they see a person coming on the same sidewalk from the opposite direction, they just cross the street, you know, and walk on the other. Why? Because this fellow, if you get stuck with him, half an hour is sure, you know. <laughs> some people are so talkative. And you know, and compulsive talk. And ever, you know that if he meets with you, if you talk to him, he will not let you go before half an hour. And therefore you look at him, see from a distance, you quietly cross the street and walk on the other pavement. So, this is called, because a person is looked upon as a source of what you call unhappiness. By the same token, there is somebody whom I love or I like, I see that person walking, I sidewalk, I cross the street and make a point to meet with that person. Why? Because it is a desirable person. Anyway, so Icha and Dvesha, these two things are there. Raga and Dvesha also, or Icha and Dvesha. So in this, my mind looks upon this, divides the whole world into two categories. It looks upon something, some people and some objects and things as the source of happiness. It looks upon others as source of unhappiness. So whatever is looked upon as source of unhappiness, dvesha or repulsion, whatever is looked upon as source of happiness, icha or liking, desire. Icha, dvesha, sukham. Sukham means happiness. When there is something which is conducive to my mind, that which creates a comfort in the mind. So, that experience is called happiness. <coughs> dukkham, just the opposite of that, pain is the dukkham, unhappiness. It is said that the happiness, also they say, what is happiness? It is happiness is, in fact, described or defined this way. Dharma asadharana karnika chitta vruttihi. Happiness is that state of mind which arises when that is of my past punya karma. 
Unhappiness is that state of mind which arises when there is fructification of my past, Papa Karma. Punya Karma and Papa Karma. So the virtuous action that I must have done in the past, when that gets fructified, then a happiness arises in my mind. When a vicious action I may have done in the past, when that gets fructified, there is unhappiness in the mind. So this is how the scriptures explain. Happiness is not because I experience a given object. Happiness is because at that moment there is a fructification of punya karma or virtuous action. Unhappiness also is not because of somebody or something. It is because of the fructification of what we call papa karma or vicious action. And so nobody makes me happy and nobody makes me unhappy. Who makes me happy? My own action. Who makes me unhappy? My own action. But anyway, so dharma means a vicious, virtuous action causes happiness. Adharma, a vicious action causes unhappiness. So sukham, dukham, sanghataha, this aggregate of the body, made up the gross and the subtle bodies, meaning my personality dupad is called sanghataha. It is an aggregate of the five elements and organs of perception, organs of action, etc. So the aggregate is called sanghataha. So this is also non-self. And Lord Krishna says this, why? Because there are those who say that the body is a self. So we also had those lokaedikaha or the charvaka, the materialists, who said that the body is the atma, body is the self. So Lord Krishna says, no, body also is non-self. Because it is also an object of my experience. Chetana, Chetana means sentience. The body is sentient. So what happens is the consciousness first gets reflected in the intellect and then in the mind and then in the sense organs and then in the body. And that's how this whole personality becomes live, becomes sentient. So this sentience is called Chetana and that also is the property of non-self. Dhrutihi, Dhrutihi means fortitude. Fortitude means, so that quality of the mind or that state of the mind which enthuses, so when my mind, my sense organs, etc., the body gets tired, so that, that uh, quality of my mind or the disposition of my mind which enthuses and makes them, you know, makes them uh, pursuing their goal is called dhrutihi, the fortitude. So, etat kshetram, Arjuna, all of this is kshetram, all of this is, kshetram is a field of experience, all of this is non-self. But Swamiji, Lord has not mentioned several things. He mentioned only a few things. He did, how about uh, fear? How about fearlessness? All of this to be included in short. So, all the modifications of the mind in short are also included as kshetram or the objects of <coughs> experience. What is one characteristic of kshetra? Kshetra and Kshetragnya, the object and subject, the self, non-self and self. What is one characteristic of Kshetra? It's called Savikaram. Arjuna, I describe the whole Kshetra along with modification. So that which is subject to Vikara or modification is non-self. Anything that is subject to modification is non-self. Anything that is objectified is non-self. Anything that is inert is non-self. So Jadatvam, Drushyatvam. At the same time, vikaritvam, so anything that is subject to modification is non-self. So how should the self be? 
If everything that is subject to change or modification is non-self, what's the nature of self? Natural or changeless? Self must be changeless, free from modification. So, this simple method can be employed actually to deal with our mind by simply creating a distance from the state of the mind. Whenever there is an identification with my mind, then there is pain and pleasure. There is sadness, unhappiness, all of this happens when I identify with my mind. Because pleasure, pain, happiness, sadness, all of these are in fact states of mind. And I become happy, unhappy when I identify with the mind. So anytime I feel unhappy or sad, what is necessary is to create a distance from the mind. There is a nice uh, verse which is attributed to Suresh Varacharya. Comes in a text called Naishkarma Siddhi. He says, Narute Syadvikriyam Dukhi A person cannot be unhappy unless he is subject to change. Sakshita ka vikarinaha. But then, who is the Sakshi? Who is the witness? The witness of all the modifications must necessarily be free from modification. The witness of all the changes must be free from changes. The witness of many must be necessarily one. And therefore, immediately I can remind myself, who am I? When I feel sad, then I ask myself, who am I? Very sadness, as I said yesterday. What is agitated? My mind is agitated. What is sad? My mind is sad. What is unhappy? My mind is unhappy. What is happy? My mind is happy. Who am I? I am the witness of that happy mind. I am the witness of the unhappy mind. I am the witness of the sad mind. Hey, what's the nature of witness? Naturally, the witness of all the changes himself is changeless. And therefore, the changeless witness I am. But Swamiji, when you say that you are witness of happiness, happy, that means you are not happy also? Sometimes they say, what is the nature of the self? We say nature of self is happiness. Why? Because uh, I find I'm happy when I'm happy. But Swamiji, I'm unhappy also. Is not unhappiness my nature? Unhappiness is not my nature because I'm not happy when I'm unhappy. Which means that I do not like unhappiness. What should be my nature? That which I like to be. I like to be happy. That must be my nature. I do not like to be unhappy. That should not be my nature. This method we can simply employ in every situation and create a distance with our mind. If we have that much, of course, uh, the it does require a certain amount of... Uh, control of the self or that I can create a distance with my mind. If you can do that, then of course we can become free from every sadness or every kind of unhappiness because the, the witness of unhappiness is not unhappy. Swamiji, I am an angry person. You cannot be because anger also is a state of mind and the one who is witness of anger is free from anger. One who is witness of any modification is free from that. One who is a witness of sadness is free from sadness. You can simply proclaim that sadness is not my nature. Anger, not my nature. Aversion, not my nature. Jealousy, not my nature. As Shankaracharya says, Name Dvesharago, Name Lohumaho, 
मदो नैव मे नैव मात्सर्य भाव न मे द्वेश रागो द्वेश एंड राग नॉट माइंड न मे लोह मोह द्वेश एंड राग एवर्जन अटैचमेंट आर नॉट माइंड लोह मोह द ग्रीड एंड डिल्यूजन नॉट माइंड मदो नैव मे नैव मात्सर्य भाव मद द प्राइड मास्टर जेलसी जेलस नॉट माइंड मॉडिफिकेशन माइंड Ataham avikriyaha. Therefore, I am avikriyaha. I am changeless. I am the one that is the witness of all the changes of the mind, and changing. Therefore, I am changeless. I am free from change, modification, unhappiness. I am ever changeless, ever same. This is how this analysis of kshetra and kshetra gnya. Yeta dyo veti tam prahu kshetra gnya hi tadvida ha. One who knows all of this is called Kshetrajna. Yedak Kshetram Samasena Savikaram Udahrutam Here Juna in this manner Samasena in brief Kshetram This Kshetra or the field of experience Savikaram along with its modifications Udahrutam has been stated here. So in these two verses the verses 5 and 6 Lord Krishna described Kshetra Tat Kshetram Yat Yadruk Yad Vikari. These three have been described in the verses five and six. And now, of course, Lord Krishna is promised to describe Chetragnya. That he will describe. Gnanam. That he will describe. Gnayam. Purusham. Prakritim. All of these descriptions also will follow. But before he describes anything else, he now he talks about a very important thing. In the next five verses, Lord Krishna talks about what he calls Gnanam. the various disciplines or the various values which one should practice in order to become eligible for the knowledge and so our standard question is swami ji i understand everything i understand but nothing happens i understand it all but still there is no experience there is no feeling in order for that to happen it is necessary to prepare our mind and For that preparation, Lord Krishna prescribes here or enjoins here these twenty values, and this is what we will proceed to discuss from tomorrow morning. The values, which is in fact the main subject matter of this camp, anyway, this is all the introduction leading to those things. But then, what we discussed in these verses also is important, because then alone the values become valuable. The values become valuable when we know what is the source of these values. it is this the truth revealed here that ultimately the truth is one non dual as we discussed in the morning all that is one non dual and that is the most valuable and because of that the values also become valuable so with that we will proceed to discuss these values one by one from tomorrow om <coughs> om purnamada पूर्णमिदम पूर्णात्पूर्णमुदच्यते पूर्णस्य पूर्णमादाय पूर्णमेवावशिष्यते 